We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Live from Joe Castiglione's patio in Fort Myers, Florida, we welcome you to the second episode of Extended Spring. Will and Joe... The, uh, the microphones have been wiped down. We're sitting at an appropriate social distance from one another. And, uh, Joe, today we're gonna, we would have been in Camden Yards today, which uh, is basically the ballpark of my childhood. I know you've got a lot of great memories there. And uh, we're going we're gonna to focus a lot on the Baltimore Orioles today, but we've got an Orioles connection and a really special way to open our second episode. So, Bob Leader, take it away. Recorded before a live outdoor audience. Bob Leader, leader of the band, the former band director at Livonia High School outside of Rochester, New York, which, of course, was a longtime Oriole affiliate. And Bob's an Oriole fan. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the great memories of Baltimore today, where we were scheduled to be. We would have had lunch at Chipparelli's with that great uh, cheese salad. Dinner at La Scala, owned by my friend Nino Germano, with the bocce court right inside the restaurant, and of course, uh, Vaccaro's famous Italian pastry shop for lemon ice. Well, we we do thank Bob for uh, just gracing us with that beautiful rendition. I got I have to tell you, Joe, seriously, um, in absence of sports and the community that that affords, that. That gave me goosebumps. It did. Just the the sound of that song that, you know, I think a lot of times we take for granted, right? I mean, you do 162 of them. You've been doing it for nearly four decades. I think a lot of the times during the seventh inning stretch, wherever you are, you might be getting a cup of coffee or just having your mind distant to take a little bit of a break before you come back for the bottom of the seventh. The the simple beauty of that song is yet another reminder of, of all that weaves us together with baseball. Appreciated much more today <laughs> yes, seriously. than uh, it was even uh, three weeks ago when we were broadcasting spring training games from JetBlue Park and elsewhere in Florida. One of the real blessings, I think, throughout this tumultuous time for all of us is that uh, – I've 
been able to spend so much time with you down here, Joe. Uh, my family and I have stayed down here, and and we have now become a part of the extended Legends community here in Fort Myers, and a lot of our friends are here in your backyard. We we literally do have a live studio audience. We call them the for... living legends, by the way. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so we, we, we are really happy to have them here, and... Uh, Joe, a lot has happened actually since we recorded our first episode, and and baseball uh, agreed to a new CBA, uh, which was, I think, sort of fast tracked because of all the uncertainty around if and when we'll play baseball. And even though we don't know the the exact start date, I think we learned some really important things, and I'd like to get your opinion on some of that. I mean, baseball fast tracks some money to players. I think almost two hundred million dollars to you know help those on the lower end, which sounds crazy to fans, but there are a lot of guys who are struggling who haven't been paid since last September. So get some money up front. That's the, that's the first thing. But we also learned that baseball has a real preference to start the season, if at all possible, June 1st. They are allowing for the, the possibility that it could be July 1st, but something around late May to have a second spring training and, and start to ramp things up. And I thought they bandied about a lot of really interesting possibilities for what a season might look like. I think so. I think it's, it's great that they're doing it. They pay minor leaguers, which is a big plus because uh, they make starvation wages in the low minors anyway. And uh, I think that's a big plus. And even if they have to start before empty houses, I think it's still people need entertainment. They miss sports so much. Don't you think that June 1 feels like an eternity from now? And yet at the exact same time, if you could somehow just earmark it and say we are going to play baseball games on June 1st, that that would give people a marker of hope? I wish we could. (laughs) That would certainly... um, to have a goal in mind like that would make this much more palatable, I think. You know, it's interesting, Joe. We're going to talk a little bit of baseball reference, the great website that all of us use as almost an essential tool day in and day out. They've done something really fun this year, and they are using um, a sports website and an algorithm to simulate every game. And they run this every day, and they post the box scores and give you the results of the games. We would have been at Camden Yards today. The Red Sox would have taken three of four from the Toronto Blue Jays up at the Rogers Center. The Orioles winless, which I guess should come as no surprise. Andrew Benintendi's hitting almost 400. He hit a couple home runs in yesterday's game. Jackie hit a home run. So I think we we could have some fun with that as we go along. But uh, the Orioles in their current iteration, we're going to talk about some of the great teams, some of your memories going all the way back into the 60s. But they are as woebegone a franchise as any in the sport. And we've seen them these last couple of years lose well over 100 games. They, If there's a full season this year, they will do that again, Joe. It is hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel for the Baltimore Orioles. Especially for you growing up an Orioles fan in suburban Washington. But it, it really is sad because it was a wonderful franchise. The great power teams of the late 60s and early 70s, then a world championship in 83, and, of course, the Cal Ripken years. And then they were competitive uh, six or seven years ago. I mean, they played playoffs a couple of times under uh, Dan Duquette as the general manager. But to see what's happened uh, under that ownership, uh, they really need to change the ownership. That, that has been 
just a disaster and a huge albatross. You know, I think it's a cautionary tale in some ways for the new model of reconstructing a baseball franchise. Everyone does it now where you intentionally lose. The idea being that if you're somewhere in the middle, it's the worst possible scenario. If you you win 70 or 80 games every year, you, you really cannot make these dramatic improvements. But you do have to get it right. And and the Orioles, uh, three years into this thing, have almost no prospects. I mean, they, they had the number one pick, the switch hitting catcher, Adley Rushman from Oregon State a couple years ago. He's he's the guy, basically the only beacon of hope for them. But they, they I think it's a really hard sale to their fan base right now. And, Joe, we heard rumblings last year that they were considering moving that club to Nashville, which is unthinkable, one of the storied franchises in the sport. What is a great sports town and a great baseball city, the idea that they could lose the Orioles is mind-blowing. That would be very, very sad. I hope baseball wouldn't let that happen because certainly approvals needed to relocate a franchise. But they had such great fans. It was so hard to get a ticket to Camden Yards uh, the first 10 or 15 years that it was open. And they didn't have great teams at that point for the most part. Larry Lucchino centrally involved in, in the construction of that ballpark. And, and really, Camden Yards, where we would be sitting today, set the gold standard and changed the way that every ballpark as we know it was built. I Opened mean, in it, 1992, the first of the retro ballparks. And uh, to me, Larry Lucchino should be in the Cooperstown. He should be a Hall of Famer. I think he will be, don't you? I mean, he won in Baltimore. He won. Got a pennant in San Diego, which is very rare, and during his tenure won three world championships with the Red Sox. Plus, he built new ballparks and set a trend. The first of the retro parks, and Larry grew up in Pittsburgh, went to Forbes Field as a kid, and said, why can't we recreate the old feel of stadiums with modern amenities? And that's exactly what Camden Yards ended. Hard to believe that it's going to be, what, 29 seasons this year for Camden Yards. That makes me feel old. I was at the opening game and I was a little kid and uh won by Rick Sutcliffe. Amazing and and Sut- you know sitting in there today Joe don't you feel like it it is a new ballpark? I mean it, it gives you that feel. Yeah, it's wonderful with the angularities of the outfield and uh, the fan amenities. Uh we were very comfortable in our perch in the broadcast area. And they just did it right. Everything was right. Janet Marie Smith, the great architect, of course, uh, redesigned uh, Fenway Park when it was remodeled over a 10-year period. Who did San Diego, who's done the Oriole Spring Training Park. Uh, she and Larry uh, formed quite a team. And uh, Larry's just such an innovative guy. And I think uh, he will be enshrined in, in Cooperstown someday. When I grew up as a kid in suburban Washington, D.C., in Alexander, Virginia, we didn't have the Nationals. The reigning world champs were not there. D.C. was without baseball forever, uh, twice losing teams to Minneapolis and to Texas. And, and there were some, I remember in my lifetime, in my childhood, it, it felt like maybe baseball would never return to the nation's capital. It is a great thing that is back. That city has so embraced the Nationals, and it's a perfect fit. But and as you pointed out on our last podcast, the Nationals are probably hurt by this delay more than anybody because they would have had the flag. Just talking to Washington scout Bob Schaefer, who lives in the neighborhood here uh, this morning, and uh, he was pointing that out too. Uh, the uh, Nationals' uh, employees are already being taxed for their rings. <laughs> Are they Which really? they haven't received yet. <laughs> I, I, I imagine Dan Duquette did not come up in that conversation, Joe. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Dan's going in the Red Sox Hall of Fame this year, by the so, way. So 
the the Orioles were the team of my childhood, and I started going to games at Memorial Stadium, which when I went, it was, yes, it was Cal Ripken, but it was Eddie Murray, and Earl Weaver was the manager, the, you know, the amazingly emotional uh, fire hydrant of a manager. What do you remember when you began your tenure both with the Indians and with the, the Red Sox? You would go to old Memorial Stadium and see some of those really good teams. Well, it's so surprising you'd be in this residential neighborhood of row houses, and all of a sudden this 50,000 and uh, Seed Stadium appears. It wasn't the most comfortable place. It was extremely hot in the summer with the humidity, as you know very well. But it had character, and, of course, it had great players. And uh, Earl Weaver, the the manager, was uh, a great character. He would hold court in the dugout with the media before the game, and he was so entertaining, uh, sometimes profane, (laughs) but very, very entertaining and informative, and you could really – Learn a lot of baseball from him. You know about his uh, celebratory uh, battles with Jim Palmer and uh, how they went tooth and nail against each other because they're both very bright guys and both individualistic and uh, opinionated and strong. And Jim Palmer, uh, unfortunately, it's not a laughing matter, but did suffer from shingles uh, last year. And... uh, Jim told me at one point the pain was so bad he would not have wished it on Earl Weaver. <laughs> Which is, sounds a whole lot like Jim Palmer. We're going to talk about him and some of the, the great Oriole players. It, you know, Earl, in, in some corners of the baseball world, gets credited with the advent of a lot of some of these advanced statistics. Dr. Charles Steinberg was around during that period. And I had a conversation with Davey Johnson, the, the, of course, the manager of the New York Mets and other teams, and he claims that as a player for Earl, it was Davey who went into his office and started talking about things like on-base percentage and runs scored and reshuffling the lineup card. Whoever gets the credit, that's an argument for another day. But Earl and those Orioles really were kind of uh, at the forefront of reinventing the way you construct a lineup. Yeah, Earl was the first to keep uh, player-pitcher matchups, which he used in key situations, and Dr. Charles Steinberg who was an intern then, uh, did the research and provided uh, all those numbers for Weaver, who had them on little file cards. And uh, Charles likes to tell a classic story. They were in a playoff game, and it was against the Angels. I forget who the pitcher was, but he wanted to know whether to pinch hit John Lowenstein for Gary Renicky because they were uh, tandem, platoon tandem, and Charles couldn't find the stats. Finally, he ran them down. And uh, gave him to Earl, and Lowenstein hit a three-run homer to win the game. No way. I'd like <laughs> but, some confirmation uh, of that story. <laughs> uh, Charles was very, very scared that uh, he wasn't going to find it and that he'd get fired from his non-paying job <laughs> or, or low-paying job. Jim Palmer, now one of the TV analysts with the Orioles, he and Gary Thorne, such a fun team to listen to. That They have a hard job right now. They really do. I mean, I, uh, there's so little to be optimistic about with the Orioles, but – you know, when you look at some of the numbers, we talked about Pedro Martinez uh, last week in terms of a, a career and a, a run of excellence. Jim Palmer can make an argument as one of the literal handful of all-time great starting pitchers. No question about it, and uh, I just love to hear him talk because he remembers every pitch he ever threw in his career. It's absolutely incredible. He remembers, I mean, he can document, uh, and I've looked him up, and he's, he's very accurate. He won the 200, what, six, 268 games. And when he was 20 years old, he won a World Series game with a shutout against the Dodgers. And then the next year hurt his shoulder. 
And there was some thought that might be the end of his career, but he was able to rehab and, of course, went on to have all those 20-win seasons. I love to tell you how he never gave up a grand slam <laughs> in his entire career. Al Bumbry, Al Bumbry takes credit for that, by the way, because there was a game in Cleveland. Rico Cardi came up with the bases loaded, a drive to deep left center. The fence was about eight feet high, and Bumbry went up over the fence, made a leaping catch to save a grand slam. And uh, B's one of our favorites. He was a Red Sox first base coach for seven years, an Oriole Hall of Famer, and he comes to see us uh, every time we're at Camden Yards. I, you know, I don't know whether it's apocryphal or not, but there are stories of of Palmer and Weaver in AAA together, and Earl comes to the mound and and says to Jim in a sp- situation where the base is loaded, I know something about this hitter. Just you know, we can't, we're not walking him throw fastballs, and he he gave up a grand slam and vowed then and there to never do it again. And to your point, <laughs> he did not. I know Boog Powell is a, if I know him. This is crazy. I mean, I've obviously learned a lot more about him. I know him because of the barbecue he sells in right field uh, at Camden Yards. But Boog was a larger than life figure uh, and the favorite for so many kids and fans in Baltimore. Yes, and uh, his barbecue pit's still going strong. I remember uh, working with Jerry Truppiano, we had some delivered because Troop was a big ribs fan, and he loved that. Uh, when I was in Cleveland, uh, Boog finished his career with the Indians, and they had the all-red uniforms, and he had a great line. He said, in, th- in those all-red uniforms, I looked like a giant blood clot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I Joe, in my in my day, I, Cal Ripken was the guy. I mean, he was my favorite player. He and Ozzie Smith, uh, my my dad and grandparents, both enormous. We're a Cardinal family um, in a lot of ways, and I remember sitting in my basement with my father and sitting in the the uh, upper deck at the old Bush Stadium with my grandfather, eating Edie's ice cream, watching Ozzie Smith in big games come out and do the backflips and uh, the baby blue Cardinal uniforms with Willie McGee and Ozzie and all of those great players, but. But in my childhood at home, Cal Ripken was the guy. I was lucky enough to be at 21-31 when he broke the record of all-time consecutive uh, games played, which was just a magical moment. But you were around for the beginning of Cal Ripken's career, which, of course, started with the World Series. And he was, you know, not just durable. He was one of the great wonders of the sport. It's amazing how he could persevere day in and day out because, you know, about the nagging, not only nagging injuries, but just the aches and pains. And the travel schedule, which makes uh, days off uh, almost uh, completely necessary. He won a World Series in his second year and never got back to the World Series again, which was sort of sad. But uh, they had such great people. I think, though, it's hard to say if you had to name the favorite Oriole player of all time, it still might be Brooks Robinson, Mm. at least with my generation. It would be uh, not only because of what a great defender he was, a clutch hitter, of course, he was showcased in the 1970 World Series against Cincinnati, but because he is such a sweet guy, just one of the nicest people you'd ever meet. So gracious to fans, to media, to everybody, and uh, he deserves that statue that's outside of Camden Yards. What was it like to watch him play defense? Well, it was, it was just breathtaking because of the plays he made both to his right and to his left, and the strange thing was he did everything left-handed, but catch but bat and throw Hmm. so the glove hand was really his dominant hand it was just incredible that he could do everything but throw and hit uh, left-handed in in any all-time teams you know throughout baseball third base is 
is generally Brooks or Mike Schmidt. I mean, that that seems to be the the consensus on both ends. I mean, Mike obviously a far more powerful offensive player. Let's stick to defense for just a minute. When you look back on your career, Joe, let's start in the infield. Other than Brooks, is there are, are there two or three guys who stand out as the most exceptional defensive infielders you can remember? Overall infielders, uh, a wide range. Uh, if you went to third baseman, I'd certainly put Mike Lowell up there. He never made a throwing error, and he was great going to his right and his left and, and coming in on balls. Um, Red Sox have had some good ones. Adrian Beltre was very good. At the time, did you want the Red Sox to keep Beltre around? I mean, people look back yes. at that decision as one that they really regret. Yeah, he was there one year at 28 homers, knocked in uh, over 100 runs and hit, what, 320, and never got a contract offer because the Red Sox had to have Adrian Gonzalez at the time. Mm. How did that work out? It well, he had not. a good year at the plate, but he wasn't happy. Speaking of second base on the infield, Dustin Pedroia, I know in terms of the ability to get to everything, get up off of his belly or his knees and make the quick right. throw to first base, he was a marvel in his time. Do you see where he's putting his uh, Chestnut Hill house on the market right now? And uh, I mean, this is not news, Joe. We know what's coming with Pedroia, and we know that he will make his home in Arizona. And I think you Correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I don't you think Pedroia is not going to be? He's got a little yaz in him in that it's not. we're not going to see Pedroia at Fenway unless it is a, an amazing importance. You know, if they win the World Series, he'll come back for those sorts of things, all century teams, all decade teams, that kind of stuff. I don't think Pedroia, once it comes to an end for him, which, you know, appears to be somewhat inevitable, I don't think Pedroia will be around a whole lot. Well, I think he will stay in Arizona uh, for the most part, but I hope he comes back for ceremonies, and uh, he'll certainly be a Red Sox Hall of Fame. He was headed to Cooperstown till the disabling knee injuries, and you just think of Manny Machado in that dirty play at second base in Baltimore-Camden Yards that uh, really pretty much ended it. I'd love to see him get, I haven't done the math yet, but two or three more hits because he won't, right now he's at two ninety nine for his career batting average. Yeah, it's amazing, and 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 – you know, I. You, it's hard to imagine that Pedroia would be up for, like a Dustin Pedroia day or a weekend. I think he wants to really get right and play to end it. Uh, that seems hard to imagine right now with all the surgeries and setbacks that he's had. But how amazing would it be? Think about the energy at Fenway Park if somehow Dustin could get right for one homestand and just, you know, play in five of the seven games. Can you imagine the life in that ballpark for the, the last week of Dustin Pedroia? Yeah, it certainly would be an event. You'd love to see it. And uh, I think right now it would be too early for any ceremonies from his point because – I don't know if playing's out of his system yet, but it's going to take a while. I mean, he's still a young man. He's in his mid-30s, and he would have uh, several more years, the way he takes care of himself, to, to play and continue to perform and maybe have a shot at Cooperstown. You know, the, the Orioles, as they are currently constructed, don't have a lot of big contracts, but they have one that is basically the biggest albatross in the sport, and that's Chris Davis. And in a way, um, this year... They want to play, obviously. They, they understand the role that baseball is going to serve. But it, it, it could work. this thing could work out really well for teams like the Orioles where, because of this new agreement, the service time counts. You, the contract will, you know, you go to free agency. They would be off the hook for Chris Davis if you don't play at all this season. Yeah, I'm sure that that would be the silver lining for them. Uh, 
Yeah, I think of Chris Davis. You think of all the strikeouts. Of course, he ended his 0 for 53 slump at Fenway (laughs) this past April. But I think of one of the most painful Red Sox losses that I've ever experienced. Last day of the 2011 season, Red Sox and Tampa Bay battling for the wild card spot. Red Sox had, what, a nine and a half game lead entering September and blew it. One of the great collapses. And that very last day, Papelbon pitching strikes out the first two guys in the bottom of the ninth with a one-run lead. And Chris Davis, of all people, we thought for sure he'd strike out to end it doubles. Then Nolan uh, Rymold doubles, and the game is tied. And then the curse of the Andino, as Jim Palmer called it. Robert <laughs> Andino lines the ball to left field. Carl Crawford, I thought, could have caught it. He came up short. Made a bad throw, winning run scored. We go to commercial break with the Red Sox having lost. And during the break, Evan Longoria hits the walk-off home run for Tampa Bay. Our season was over. And, of course, that was it for Terry Francona. Theo Epstein left. And uh, so many changes resulted uh, if they hadn't blown that game. Well, there were some painful moments. I'll never forget a game in 1991. Red Sox were way down with Joe Morgan managing. They came back with a great late August and September and were half a game out of first place on a Sunday afternoon when Roberto Kelly hit a home run off Jeff Reardon to tie it, and then a rookie named Bernie Williams Hmm. hit a three-run double in extra innings to win it for the Yankees, who were going nowhere at that point. And they won that game. We go to Baltimore, still with a chance, a game and a half out. Roger Clemens pitches a shutout in an afternoon weekday doubleheader on a Monday. And the stands were empty. It was a makeup. Stands so not that different from Camden empty. Yards right now. Right. <laughs> and uh, we win the first game. And in the second game, Red Sox had the lead, blew it late. And Dwight Evans, his only year with the Orioles, the only year he didn't play for the Red Sox, comes up with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning. Greg Harris walks in the winning run, no way. walking Dwight Evans. <laughs> you know, that was it, extremely painful. Couple, and, of course, the Red Sox went on to fire Joe Morgan, one of the worst moves we've ever seen in Red Sox history. Before spring training was canceled, uh, Dwight Evans was going through yet another period for him that uh, is almost unimaginable. Uh, Dewey, you know, has has suffered so much tragedy these last couple of years, and uh, – it's hard not to think of him in a moment like this where everyone in the country is, is locked down. Frankly, in the world, people are experiencing uh, thoughts of, of loneliness and separation. But uh, you can imagine that uh, these days, for Dewey, more, almost more than any of us, uh, are as difficult as you can imagine. No question about it. Well, I had a chance to console him and offer my condolences uh, just before all this happened at spring training. And he's a man of strong faith, and that has uh, really helped him and his wife Sue persevere. But to lose two sons in less than a year's time, after all the surgeries that they had throughout their entire lives because of the uh, genetic situation, certainly uh, his faith has really helped him through this. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Talking about some of the great games at Camden Yards uh, with some of the heartbreaking moments. One more (laughs) that I got to give you. Before we get to the good stuff, 2009, Red Sox dominated the Orioles. I think they were 16-3. and three. As they but, did in their World Series year in 2018. Right, and they had a 10-1 to lead going to the bottom of the seventh inning. And Okajima gave up five, and then cast of relievers after him, including Jonathan Papelbon, gave up five in the eighth. The Red Sox blew the 10-1 lead to a terrible Oriole team. <laughs> and lost 11 to 10. That game sticks with me, along with a game in Toronto against Toronto at Fenway in uh, 89 when the Red Sox blew a 10 nothing lead and lost to the Blue Jays. All right, well, how about, I mean, Joe, come on. The, the, the idea of this is to lighten people's mood. Better a little days, bit. yes. Come Who on. can forget Mookie Betts? Consecutive days, May 31st and June 1st of 2016. Mookie led off on the 31st with a home run, hit three that day, led off with a home run the following day, hit two in the first two innings, five home runs in two days. I mean, he owned Camden Yards. You know what's crazy is he may never play for the L.A. Dodgers. I mean, if there's not a season, he will go to free agency, and he may not re-sign with them. And if that's the case, I mean, if – God forbid, if this season is lost, in the end, the Red Sox will have pulled off an accidental total heist for Mookie Betts. They got returned for him without a season being played. Of course, none of us hope that that's the way it happens. You know, Joe, that memory, like so many others, we remember the game this year in 2019 when in his first three at-bats, he hit three home runs. I think it was like the fifth inning. He had three home runs and had two more chances to try to to hit that fourth. Without once again getting into the weeds about the process, the the messaging, the return for Mookie Betts, there is no doubt that we will miss those moments. And he is more capable of those than anybody almost in the entire sport where you could expect six, seven, eight times a year that he would take your breath away. Yeah, he always found somewhere where it's on the bases, in the field, or at the plate. And, of course, another great game we'll never forget was the Jackie Bradley catch mm. robbing Trey Mancini of a home run, leaping above the left center field fence, glove into the Oreo bullpen, which is on the lower level there, the Red Sox bullpen, a perch above it, and uh, sending that game to extra innings with just one of the most unbelievable plays we have ever seen. And the Red Sox did go on to win that game. You know, when I first started with the Red Sox in 1983, the Orioles had a decided advantage in the all-time series Hmm. against Boston, not including, of course, the Orioles' predecessors, the St. Louis Browns, whom everybody beat. But they were well behind, and it wasn't uh, too long, maybe over the next 12 years, that the Red Sox overtook them and now have a commanding advantage because the Orioles uh, have been 
so bad for most of that stretch. And the Red Sox, of course, have dominated, and they've always played extremely well in camping yards other than those tragic moments we've mentioned. You know, I, I've, I'm trying to figure out a way that we can – I know you've seen this going on all over the Internet where bands are getting together, symphony orchestras are getting together, playing Beethoven, uh, reenacting famous songs that they've, they've written as a band. I kind of think it would be fun – You've also seen, you know, rugby and baseball and football. Joe Buck's doing this left and right, play-by-play of everyday life. Josh Lewin is is doing it, like putting his wife's putting pies in the oven and he's doing it. I think it'd be funny, Joe, if we could convince guys like Jackie to recreate those moments, like in their living rooms. You know, like if he could somehow jump up over his couch with his daughter (laughs) Emerson right there, we could do live play-by-play of it and then just have a chat with Jackie. So. We're going to work on that. I think uh, the, the other one that would really, I think, come to mind was if we could get Ben Benintendi somehow to Zoom with us and we could have him, you know, dive onto a bed or something and recreate the catch that beat the Astros in the ALCS. And then here on your patio, we could have you fall out of your chair. And I don't want to go backwards because this is a hard <laughs> tile here. At least there was a rug there in the booth at Houston. But, uh, yeah, that would be fun to, to see how a player would recreate it. And, That's... of course, I don't need a lot of uh, help in falling over at this stage. <laughs> I, think, I think, Joe, I think they'd be up for it. I'm going to run it by the Red Sox and see if we can make that happen. <laughs> I, I think that um, players, as we resume, whenever that is, are going to be totally different, don't you? And I think that there's a real chance that we're going to see more of the stuff we saw in spring training, guys mic'd up uh, to the extent that that's possible. I think we have a chance um, to have guys appreciate it much more and be more open-minded to to a lot of different things to re-engage fans. Yeah, we saw that after the strike in 95, uh, players giving balls to fans uh, and signing autographs. Cal Ripon, of course, always did that. as we mentioned earlier, I think you will see more cooperation and more of an attempt to humanize the game and to bring the fans closer, even if they're maybe not even in the ballpark to start. We did see that rosters will be expanded, as you speculated, um, because of the shortened second spring training, the uh, 29 or 30 guys on the roster to start the season. Um, there is talk, Joe, that There'd be more doubleheaders, potentially seven-inning doubleheaders, which I think would be a really good idea. There's also talk, which I, I, I also think if, if school is out and we can do this to help, you know, keep the younger fan around, more day games I think would be a huge bonus for baseball. I think you see more day-night doubleheaders, so that would uh, make it uh, a lot more easy right there. So that's a great idea. I would love to see more afternoon games. And uh, it may well be the case. What if I told you you had two choices, Joe, that you could either, let's say, for the sake of argument, that we are going to start on June 1st. I think that maybe is a little optimistic to me. July 1st feels more realistic. But let's say it's June 1st. If that's the case, would you be more in favor of doing everything you can to play 162, which would take you some cases into November, or... Would you advocate, let's just make it, say, a 100-game season and start the playoffs in mid-October? Probably the latter. I think uh, you're playing in November, you'd have to go to neutral sites. I mean, you can't play in Minnesota. You can't play night games in November in Minnesota or in Cleveland or Chicago, which don't have domes. But I would think uh, 100 to 120 games, 
if you can start there, if you can make some up and uh, have a representative season, I think that would fit. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly extend the regular season through the first the two weeks of October and compact make the playoffs more compact and not have so many off days, which we have now for television reasons. You know, it, this is not isolated to baseball because – I'm listening to the conference calls my wife is on. I'm talking to friends of mine who work for Fortune 500 companies and the the tough decisions they are being forced to make because of what's going on in the global economy, having to furlough workers, having to lay people off just because the global economy has kind of come to a a standstill. So that we understand is as important, if not more important to people's lives, and that, that is happening all around us. But just from a baseball perspective, Joe... Again, how about Chaim Bloom taking this job to come run the Boston Red Sox? And think of from the day he was hired, all that has happened. I mean, it starts with Alex Cora and the investigation and then the trade of Mookie Betts and all of that. Chris Sale injury. All of that. And now having to deal with the current reality of this pandemic that faces us all. It's unbelievable to think about everything that's on his plate. Well, he's certainly very capable of handling it. Uh, I mean, we haven't been around him very long, but I'm very impressed with the way he handles himself, with his intelligence, and I think uh, with his even-keel approach. But it has to be very difficult. He's got a family in St. Petersburg, and uh, he's trying to, from a personal standpoint, uh, new home and get kids for maybe you can buy Pedroia's fall, places. that type of thing. So I, he had the line of spring training, by the way. Uh, one of the times I, I did get a chance to talk with him on the field. He was talking exactly about what you, you just mentioned. And that is finding a home uh, in the Boston area. Now, obviously now he's in a position to, he's got some resources because he's running the Red Sox that he'll be able to do that. But he said when he and his wife bought their first house in uh, St. Pete, that, he viewed it as he views every baseball negotiation and transaction. He was trying to really find the great value, whereas his wife was thinking of it as more of a, a place that their family would live. And he said, I was looking for the Joey Wendell of houses, and all my wife wanted was the Charlie Morton of houses. Which <laughs> One was a lot more costly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. So I'm with you. I think he, you know, in the time we've had around him, uh, he's up for this task. But, I mean, it, it's uh, it's amazing what's what's going on right now. So are you up for lemon ice at Vicaro's in Baltimore today? I, I am up for all of that. La Scala? Play bocce? Man, I, all that sounds so good right now. And I, I think the one good thing about it, Joe, is that we know it seems inconceivable that we won't, if if road games are played, right, assuming we don't have – all neutral site games, assuming they don't play the whole year in Arizona, which I guess is a possibility. A division rival like that, we can feel pretty confident that if there's a season, if there's 100 games, we will be in Baltimore at some point. Yeah, I would think so because the way the schedule's constructed, that you play your in each division foe three times in their ballpark, three different series, means you might miss the West Coast. I know it. Uh, that We had all those series in Oakland and Seattle lined up in the this third week of April. What's your favorite American League road trip city? Well, there's so many of them. I mean, I love Safeco Field. I love Seattle, where we do a lot of things off the field, uh, the mountains, the Cascades, and uh, kayaking on Lake uh, Union there, and biking. And uh, It's such a beautiful city. It's such a beautiful area. I still like going to New York. It's it's exciting, and uh, 
you know, we have a lot of friends there, and it's always an event. Um, you know, Cleveland has a soft spot, having lived there for 12 years. And we usually go in good weather, which we were due to go June 1st. So that would be a good target date. No question about that. That could be the opening series, three games in Cleveland. And Baltimore is a, is a great city. We mentioned some of the highlights there. Um, most of them are a lot of fun to visit. We know what's going on in New York right now, Joe, and I keep making these parallels to other events in our lives. I think they're different than the strike, but 9-11 is the closest to this. And and don't you think that New York is getting ravaged by this thing right now? And if and when we get going again, there will be a real solidarity, don't you think, between the Red Sox and the Yankees to celebrate that great city and the tradition and the role that baseball has played there? Yes, and it, it was certainly felt that uh, in 2001. I mean, people that uh, were Yankee haters were rooting for the Yankees in that World Series against Arizona because of all New York had been through. And uh, it was amazing how they won those three great comeback games on walk-off home runs when Derek Jeter was called Mr. November and then went back to Arizona and got blown out and then lost when Rivera, with a throwing error and a bunt, blew the lead in the last inning. But... I think it would uh, create a very warm feeling from all over baseball. And who knows? I mean, there may be other cities in the same boat. And a great friend of and sponsor of Red Sox baseball, David Pomerantz, runs a wonderful institution that you're so heavily involved in. And, and they, speaking of people who are right in the crosshairs of this thing, we are thinking a lot about David and all the people that make that place go. The Hebrew Home, one of our sponsors in Riverdale, New York, right outside the Bronx on the Hudson River. And there are, uh, I believe, eight buildings with senior citizens in all states of health, uh, some assisted living, uh, some in nursing situation. Uh, we talked to David two days ago. He'd already worked 28 consecutive days with no end in sight. Mm. And uh, you really feel and pray for people in those situations, especially because, you know, people are in close close quarters. And you have to remember, too, that some of these residents – in places like that, may not understand what's going on because of their mental state, and uh, it has to be such a difficult situation to deal with. Anyone in the medical profession, the nurses, the doctors, and, of course, first responders, uh, you know, our hearts go out to them. It's been inspiring to watch so many people answer the call. We've chased away our studio audience, but uh, one of one of our uh, early fans here early today was uh, Eileen, your neighbor here in Fort Myers, and and she has done a remarkable thing. She's basically sewing and ironing masks together to help the the medical professionals in her hometown of Buffalo and all over the place. It's just uh, there are so many stories like that, Joe, that uh, underscore that from all this darkness, we we are seeing a lot of light. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's a wonderful gesture, and these uh, took a long time to do because my wife Jan helped with the ironing of these masks, and another neighbor, Pam uh, Leader, whose husband Bob serenaded us to start with Take Me Out to the Ball Game, uh, <laughs> I've worked on. It's been a community effort, and he's a former uh, medical director, uh, CEO of a medical group in Buffalo, a big one, and uh, they needed the masks, and you see that all over the country now, With and it's great to see some of the manufacturing companies like Reebok uh, turn to uh, helping with this situation. Yeah, New Balance, a great Red Sox sponsor. They've started to make masks. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that 
if we can, first of all, our bosses at Anacom need to be ready to see a really strange uh, item in the expense reports, and that is the sheet music that Bob needed to, to print out, <laughs> take me out to the ball game. I want him to get Sweet Caroline, and maybe next time we do one of these, we can take a pause, oh, you know, yeah, let's do three that. quarters of the way through, and he can just we'll play Sweet Caroline. We'll pay for his Car- sheet music. <laughs> yeah. I love that. We want to thank Bob. We want to thank everyone who was here uh, live with us and, and all those who uh, listened. And I, I think Joe, certainly we will have to do one of these on Thursday, which will be the home opener at Fenway Park. And um, we won't revisit all the home openers because since we did a lot of that last week. But, uh, again, that will be another marker, another moment where uh, you just you remember all the many uh, wonderful you know, spring days at Fenway Park. Yes, indeed. I mean, it'll be uh, we're happy we're here because we're outside and we're able to be in the sunshine. We're having a heat wave, by the way, in Fort Myers. It's been <laughs> In the 90s, for four or five days, we are not complaining. It's wonderful. And uh, we are able to be outside, though we're very blessed. We're sitting on our lanai, as you mentioned, doing this, uh, able to get out and walk and bike and swim. And golf is still going in in some communities. And uh, we certainly uh, feel for those people who are totally inside. We do. I'm yeah, glad we we're outside talk. some, that's for sure. Well, I'm in for La Scala. I'm in for Bocce. I'm in for all of it, Joe. And uh, that day will come, and, and uh, we will enjoy it when it does. Well, call our friend Nino Germano, <laughs> who makes my favorite dish because he is from the same town as my grandmother. Really? And that town is? Sicily, and makes the swordfish with the uh, tart tomato sauce with pasta. Well worth having when, he, when he's able to get the swordfish Ooh. in. Uh, that that sounds just about right. Well, I, I can't wait to get to Camden with you, Joe. And uh, this one's been fun. We'll uh, we'll talk to everybody once again on uh, Thursday, the home opener. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we look forward to, to baseball being part of your lives very soon. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Will. Our prayers are with everybody. In honor of Alex Cora. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.